So I think those organisations that can find that place of purpose and articulate that and encourage and allow employees to have their sense of purpose will be more successful in the future. That was Kate Monroe, the Director of People and Change Advisory at KPMG. She and I had a conversation about future skills, the role of university in the acquisition of those future skills, and how her theater degree has morphed over the years into consultancy. Now consider this, according to the World Economic Forum, by 2025, worker tasks globally will see an equal distribution between machines and humans, and poof, 85 million jobs will disappear. But out of the void will eventually emerge net job creation, even though we don't know what these new roles will look like. As a result of these forces of change, organizations are going to need innovative thinkers like Kate to come into their spaces to facilitate an evolution that enables them to meet the demands of an uncertain future. I hope you enjoy our conversation. If we could start uh, with um, the question of what is it that you do? (laughs) Because you have the most, probably one of the most interesting titles I've come across in jobs. So you're a change? People and change. People and change. People and change advisory is the practice that I, um, and I, I suppose to be honest, this is, the answer is also a little bit reflective in the context of my career because I'm very new to consultancy. Yeah. So I'm only about two and a half years with, with KPMG. Um, I don't consider myself a consultant. I, yeah. I, I kind of come from a broader world and a number of different industries. Um, the way I describe what I do, how I describe it when my five-year-old asks me, is yeah. I help people solve problems. Now, I come from a certain, I have a certain expertise, which is in people, um, organizations, yeah. organizations as organisms and how they can be most effective, how they can be successful. Um, But ultimately, when I try and refine it down, I help people solve problems. What's really interesting to me about that is that it also plays into sort of job security. Because in this new paradigm, it seems something that keeps coming back is Mm -hmm. that I run into is that which makes us most human is also which will be most valuable. Mm -hmm. Because what doesn't make us human other things will eventually be able to do. So if you're looking at what you do, it seems it would be really hard to automate or have a, a robot come in and, and do the work that you do. Is that, yeah. Would you say that would be true? Um, I would say that's probably true. And I think we're, when you look at the evolution of capability and future skills, which I know we'll probably talk about, where that is moving is capabilities like problem solving Um, If you look at studies that have been done by the WEF, etc., problem solving consistently remains top of the list in terms of desirable, applicable skills. And as we move through a journey of automation, AI, all of that kind of stuff, where are the human skills going to be? They're going to be in problem solving, human touch, strategic thinking, creativity. Mm. It's, it's the humanness right. of what we do, which I think we will retain as human beings and there will be a need for, even if we have found 
smart, automated, AI-driven ways to do other things. And so what, what was it that you did originally then? Um, and, and yeah. <laughs> maybe that's, just, that's a whole nother conversation, but yeah. maybe like the short, the abridged version. The abridged version. So um, going back to what we were talking about earlier, I did an arts degree when I came out of school. Which, which kind of arts degree? Theatre. Theatre. And where so, did you study at? I, I studied at Glasgow University, so I'm originally from, from Scotland. Um, but I did it because I didn't know what else to do. Yeah. My, my parents had both been in, in the art spheres and I just kind of gravitated towards it without really understanding what I was doing. And probably from a sense of, I don't think I can do anything else. Yeah. So I wasn't really in the space to make the most of that experience. I, looking back on it, I kind of just drifted through it. The real learning came afterwards and I, my career has evolved. You know, I've worked in lots of different industries, I've done lots of different jobs. Um, and I think it's only really now that I'm probably getting a sense of, okay, I think I might be okay at this and I think this kind of makes sense for me. Have I found what I'm supposedly supposed to do? I'm not sure. Some days it feels like it, right. you know. But I think it's it's a journey, and I think we're we're moving away from having this set nine to five, thirty, forty, fifty year career right. that previous generations would hang their hat on. Um, I think now it's going to be much more common for people to have multiple careers, either running chronologically or running in parallel. You know, people who are doing part-time jobs for a corporate but also running their own business right. and blogging and blah, blah, blah. That's, so your world, your, your life experience and your learning journey is made up now of, it's much more multifaceted, I think, yeah. than it ever was. And I think that's a really healthy way to look at it. So you graduate from, with your theater degree yeah. and then you do. Then I realize I can't, deal with the insecurity of that industry. Oh, it's intense, isn't it? It is. Yeah. And I I wasn't emotionally in the right space to yep. do it. I, I didn't have the right life experience. Right. I probably wasn't terribly good at it, you know. Right. So then I decided I was going to get a proper job, you know, as my parents would say, right. with something that pays the rent. Right. And I realized actually at that time in my life, I needed security. I needed to be yep. earning money, to be independent, to be able to fulfill, if you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, yep. yeah, to start to fill as an independent person, yep. those bottom rungs of, of the pyramid. Um, and so then I, um, I ended up, you know, as lots of kids do in the UK, working customer service roles and uh, customer, customer operational roles. I kind of moved into project management because I really started to like that whole cycle of how that works and the fact that you end up starting and delivering something within a relatively short period of time. And I realized when I was in a, a head of operations role for Hutchison 3G that so much of what you do in project delivery is about people. And that's what really got me fired up. And so I started to think, okay, maybe the people component is what I should be doing. 
and so that led to probably this part of right. the journey and, and where I am now. Part of the stumbling through this process is it is acknowledging that you're not going to know. Yeah. And then having the courage just to take the first step. Mm. So just because you got a theater degree didn't close all these doors off to you. Mm. And I think that's the assumption a lot of parents might make um, or, or the older generation make with these students. You know, is if you pursue music, if you pursue theater, if you pursue visual arts, that um, you're not going to be able to get a job, you're not going to be employable. And I, in my, in my work, have not found that to be true at all. Mm. Um, would you say, what's your assessment of that? I think, I mean, I think you, you try to make the best decisions you can at each point in your life. Having a degree of flexibility and creativity about what you do, and I think universities and colleges are now responding to that need a lot more. They, I think they are giving students more flexibility to mix and match and shift and evolve. But I think what I'm seeing is that the, the time that you spend in the academic sphere, yeah. university, college, whatever, doesn't have to dictate the rest of, of your life. And I think consider the learning journey, not just from what you take on academically, but also what you're taking on in the rest of your life. You yeah. know, are you doing volunteer work, charity right. work? Are you working, you know, with kids? Are you hiking up mountains? What are you cooking? Whatever yeah. else. That's all part of life's experience. That yeah. all teaches you. Right. Um, I have to say, and I know some parents may be like, oh, don't say this. Um, I, I wish I'd taken time out and not forced myself to make a decision that I knew really wasn't right at the time and just grow a little bit as a human being before I, before I did that. Um, but I think our learning journeys are all unique. Yeah, I mean, I, I ended up kind of coming out of doing an arts degree and working in marketing, but still mm. still in an industry which was declining in the UK, and there wasn't a lot of funding, etc., to keep theatre companies or arts companies yeah. going. So that's where the lack of stability came in. But I can now, looking back, see the benefits of what I learned then sure. in terms of what I'm doing now. So there will always be benefit. Yep to that experience and you may not see it at the time right. but but don't you know just because you change course don't dismiss what you did yeah. and think oh well that was useless that was a waste of time never is just might take a little bit of time right. before you see oh actually yeah i did learn something worthwhile huh. on that that's part. kind of a that's a, a future skill in itself right being able yeah. to I think so. To unearth maybe stories from these experiences to make them meaningful and yeah. being able to grow from them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's talk about this. Let's, what are the future skills? So yeah, I mean, I think um, I think it's interesting. I think because we talk to clients a lot about future skills, and I think the way organizations view future skills is still quite actually traditional, you yeah. know because they look at it in the context of the future skills that will benefit their organization in the future. Um, and so they will still call, talk about soft skills, leadership skills, yeah. functional skills, technical <laughs> skills. Um, and I, th I think that f the future skills that will be most meaningful are, as I said before, they're around creativity, they're around strategic yeah. thinking, they're around problem solving, they're around the humanness of what we do. 
and I think a lot of it will be about in the same way as I think and I know we might talk about this this sort of the term the fourth industrial revolution the fifth industrial revolution which is really about the integration of technology and humanness and it's an evolution I think future skills in a sense will be much more about integrating capabilities Right. as opposed to standalone capabilities um, which means that you have an abil- you have the option to combine skills you know it won't just be I'm a technical person therefore I'm a coder I'm a you know yeah. you may be a combination of things is it where the t-shape t-shaped skill set they kind of talk about yeah. is, that, is that a term you're familiar with yeah yeah, okay. yeah. sort of you have the broad skill set that kind of covers multiple it's multidisciplinary yeah but then you have the depth exactly exactly so so I think people will have the chance to be um, and and can be recognized more for having breadth and depth in different ways rather than being single stream right which I think the vast majority of people still feel they need to be because of that this is my university path this is my career path and you know, people of my generation are still doing the jobs that they've done for 20, 30 years, which stemmed from that university decision right yeah. at the beginning. Um, and maybe when they retire, then they start to think, well, what's it? what else? Right. And they go into their second career, what have you. Mm. So, um, so no, I think it's an interesting one in terms of future skills. Well, the, what do you think, what role does university have in this, this uh, acquisition of skills? And because I think, again, we'll just talk about the old paradigm, you know, the way that people perceive universities. You go, basically you sit there and you get these skills and knowledge dumped in you and then you go out and you apply those specific skills, skills and that specific knowledge to a profession or an industry for the, the rest of your life. And, and these future skills would suggest and the sort of people's predictions would suggest that you're going to have multiple job changes, multiple career changes. So, so the university model that we're all sort of familiar with is not really relevant in that sense. Um, so what, how do you see university sort of playing into developing these future skills? I think it depends how the education system evolves. Okay. I think if the education system evolves to be more aligned with this new way of building careers, new way of learning, then I think universities and colleges will r- remain relevant yeah. in the way that they are supporting young people to learn. If they remain static, we talk, you talked about the UK example, then yeah. I think they will be seen as less relevant. Um, university and, and tertiary learning still has tremendous value. And if you're fortunate enough, and I think that's important, yeah. because the vast majority of people in the world do not have that option. Right. So I think if, you, if, we ha- if we are fortunate to have that opportunity, take it in whatever direction that makes sense to you at the time and grab the value from it and know that it may evolve and your journey will evolve. It doesn't have to be the, the be all and end all. But I think it's interesting if you look at countries like Finland, who have a much higher percentage of the population moving into tertiary learning, but it's vocational. Mm-hmm. It's much more skills based, practical capability building as opposed to academic. And it's respected and recognized in that country. Yeah. Yeah. I think, again, that's an interesting way to look at it. Um, so it could be, you know, I mean, I remember when I was growing up, the idea of going for an apprenticeship 
you know, was kind of dying out. Right. Why would you do that? You right. know, and, and a lot of the industries that had apprenticeships, unfortunately, in the UK were dying out as yeah. well. But I think that will be interesting if that has a bit of a renaissance mm. in terms of actually right. learning while doing. Because let's face it, we know from you know, successful learning models and practices that it's the doing that means the learning, right. not the academic understanding of, of a new right. piece of information. Let me dial this back to, uh, I'm trying to remember how it was put. Um, yes, here we go, the World Economic Forum. Yeah. Um, the article, why skills, um, not degrees, will shape the future of work, which I, I think that's pretty provocative. It's very true. Yeah, so yeah, talk, I mean, we've kind of covered that a little bit, but talk about that. I think it's true because I think, um, I mean, I, ha I haven't done a study on it, but I think that if you ask the vast majority of people, are you doing what you studied to do? Are you doing what's written on your degree piece of paper? Right. The chances are people will say either totally not or kinda, <laughs> right. but it evolved. Um, and I'm not saying, again, going back to the value and relevance question, I'm not saying it's not valuable or not relevant. But I think it's part of the jigsaw puzzle, right? Um, and I, I think skills. If you, if, if it depends what you mean by skills. I think if we're talking about skills in the context of the practical, the doable, mm -hmm. um, the body learning as opposed to the mind learning. Yes. Then I think absolutely that's it's the application of knowledge, mm -hmm. which I think is through skill. Um, you know, you can fill your brain with a book. But actually, your skill can constantly evolve. You know, someone who studies, you know, like um, a great sushi chef that studies for 10 years with a master, etc., um, may see, I'm always learning in terms of my skill. I can always get better. Right. Even though technically I may know everything there is about creating sushi. Right, right. And that's what keeps it interesting. That's what's exciting, I think. What is what are the obstacles in the organizations that you're working with? I understand there's probably some things you can't talk about, but just generally speaking, what are some of the obstacles do you find in, in the, with the organizations that you're you're working with? Um, I think it's because most organizations have a very narrow frame for what success means, and they don't necessarily offer a lot of flexibility in terms of development. Once you're in a job, you deliver to that job. Right. Um, right. Now I think that's, that's probably changing with some of the industries that are now emerging, you know, um, with tech and, and stuff like that. Maybe that's, people would challenge me and say, well, that's not my experience and that's fine. But if you look at traditional industries, you know, yeah. You know, all of that kind of stuff. I think people are placed in a box and you can very easily stay in that box. And by people you mean employees, employees. within that organization? Within that organization. Right. And you will be given opportunities to learn, but it will be within a certain framework. And you may right. need to go beyond that purposefully right. if you want to find other stuff to learn. Is there a place for human development within organizations, do you think? Um, Absolutely, absolutely. But I, I think it depends on whether the organization recognizes the value of human development 
Um, I think a lot of traditional organizations still place a lot of emphasis on command and control. Yeah. And you can't have people getting too humanly developed <laughs> in that scenario. You know, that doesn't work that's well all going to be a bit free control. and a bit, yeah, so that's you have to right. be careful, you know, right. um, keep it within certain parameters. What do you think, um, what might you say to one of my students at the high school? Is it how your advice to them, make yourself as valuable as possible to what's emerging, what might you say to them? I think um, be open to it. Hmm. Be open to it. Seek opportunities um, to learn, to grow in different ways, with different influences. It will all be valuable to you. Um, and don't... Um, you know, before I before I left the UK about you know twelve years ago, and we first moved to Malaysia, and it was like, whoa! Where the, I was I was on a contract for a year, such a big deal, you know. Um, and it's like it's a year, and whew, that's big, and then whew, it's gone. Right. The year's gone, and before you know it, you spent a year somewhere else, and six months here, and. And, and two years there, and then five years there. And it doesn't always have to be the be-all and end-all. If you move to a different country, it doesn't have to be that you spend the rest of your life there doing, doing what you just started out to do. Yeah. It's an evolution. Recognize it as an evolution. It all has value. Um, but if you have a passion, So, so hold on to it, do what feels right. I know it's hard and I know you'll have arguments with your parents <laughs> or with your grandparents or even with your friends, you know, who are wanting to do a different thing or they want you to do what they want to do and, you know, there's all that peer pressure and all that kind of stuff. You know, do your best to stay true to what you believe is right for you and that will change and that's okay. You know, yeah. so I don't know if that's terribly helpful, but it's some well, it of the lessons in, I learned from not doing that. Put it that way. Well, I, it plays into my narrative, so okay, I, I appreciate <laughs> it's it. a win then. Because I do think that um, you know it's hard for me to formulate exactly what it is, but I do think that fundamentally, if you are interested in something, mm. call it passion or purpose, whatever you're genuinely engaged with something, your mind just opens up and is receptive. And because it's receptive, then all of a sudden there's new things that you're encountering and they're synthesizing new information into the thing that you didn't, you would never have understood how to synthesize before without that receptivity. Sure, sure, sure. And it makes you adaptable and interesting in ways um, that if people who don't have that uh, are, are not going to stand out maybe necessarily as much. If you follow your own best lead and intuition that mm -hmm. things just fall into place it's not always going to be easy but when you are genuinely interested in something then all of a sudden you're um, the opportunities are actually you're more aware of how to take advantage of absolutely and i think the you. the organizations going back to your question about organizational challenges and barriers if you like the organizations that will be successful are the ones that recognize and what we're seeing um, with clients is that they're the ones that recognize the place of purpose in the organization. Mm. 
and that employees who have that sense of purpose and that purpose is aligned to the organizational purpose, then they're more engaged, they're more productive, they're more creative, there's lots of good stuff going on. And that purpose doesn't need to be exactly the same as the organizational purpose. There may be differentials there. If I think back to, we did an exercise in KPMG a couple of years ago, which was encouraging people to find their purpose, to articulate their purpose. We got about 10,000 articulations of purpose from all over the globe. And um, our chairman at the time articulated his purpose in the work that we do to set up schools across China for underprivileged kids. Mm. That was part of why he was with KPMG, leading KPMG. And when I read that, I was like, wow, because that is integrated to the organizational purpose, but it's also very personal for him. And that's very powerful, I think, for a leader to be able to tell that story. So I think those organizations that can find that place of purpose and articulate that and encourage and allow employees to have their sense of purpose will be more successful in the future. A lot of this journey in terms of different ways of working, different ways of thinking, you know, um, companies saying everyone can work from home all the time, take as many holidays as you want. I mean, my grandparents were <laughs> time, they'd be like, what? Yeah. This is insane. You can't do that. You no, can't no, do that, exactly. So, exactly. So, and a lot of the conversations we're having with clients is, okay, it's been a very, well, it's not over yet. It's a very challenging period for everyone. But where, where have the opportunities come? Where is the learning? Mm. Where right. can you see the benefit? And what most leaders are saying, we will not go back. We will not go back to the way that we used to do things. That's um, exciting. Yeah, very exciting. me, where we left off there is one of the most exciting aspects of where we are currently situated. Even though it has and is and will continue to be uncomfortable well into the unforeseeable future. Now I know the students in our community feel quite a bit of anxiety around this uncertainty, but if we could rescue our understanding of what is happening now from the jaws of the pejorative, it has the potential to be liberating, freeing a young person's ambitions up to be more aligned with what they want for themselves not with the traditionally defined roles demanded of them. Now, I'd like to leave you with a quote from the book, Making Up Your Own Mind by Edward B. Berger, the president of Southwestern University, and quite surprisingly, a former mathematics professor. Quote, the best way to flourish in your professional life is to allow yourself to flourish as your authentic self. Mm-hmm.